So we're thinking about processions, and we're thinking about marches, marching in these days. Yesterday, yesterday, inspired by amazing students from Parkland, Florida, a million people showed up in Washington to say enough is enough. Enough is enough on gun violence. There was a major march here in Richmond and in many cities across the world. Perhaps we are moving to a new place to talk about guns and safety and life in our country. We got marches on our mind, processions. We're also thinking about Jesus today and his procession. We just celebrated it with a procession into this space twice already this morning. He marches He marches into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And we are marching into Holy Week when Jesus is going to confront the established leaders, when Jesus is going to be deserted by his friends, when Jesus predicts what will happen to him, and it happens, he'll be persecuted and mocked and crucified left to die on a cross. So it seems to be a good week to think about this word, Savior. We keep trying to sort out these questions. Who is Jesus? And how is he our Savior? How does he really save us? I've told some of you this story before. It comes from Marcus Borg, who was a New Testament scholar and a Jesus scholar who wrote lots of interesting books about Jesus and who died in 2015. I got to spend some cherished time with Marcus Borg several years ago, and I heard him tell this particular story. Marcus Borg was invited to speak, to be present on today's, good, uh, on today's show, on NBC's Today Show, not the Good Morning America, on NBC's Today Show, and it was Friday of Holy Week when he was there. The subject, of course, was going to be Jesus. The producer told Marcus that they had a chunk of time, a very long time, to talk about Jesus during this show, and Marcus asked the producer, how much time do we have? We have seven minutes. (laughs) Well, the seven minutes began to shrink rapidly, The program would use the first two minutes of that seven showing an introductory video of Jesus and art and how he's depicted in art. And then the show's host would take 30 seconds for some more introductory comments and then they would interview Marcus Borg. And they said they would ask him this question. What would it have been like to be a companion of Jesus? What was Jesus like? And the Today Show, they said, would be seen by five million people that morning for that brief segment. And then they said, you have 75 seconds to answer the question. (laughs) So he's thinking, five million people and 75 seconds. Wow. How do you speak about Jesus clearly, succinctly, effectively, and well in that short of time? And what would you even say? So Borg says that he worked very hard on his 75-second response, who is Jesus? And he wrote it out, and he timed it down to 75 seconds, and he kept it succinct and clear, and then he knew he couldn't read it, pull it out and read it. 
He knew he had to memorize it, and then he knew that he had to speak it in a way that was conversational, that it was faithful and authentic, not academic, not memorized, but really this conversational, honest, authentic answer. So he was ready, and he was rehearsed, and Good Friday came, and he was on the set of the Today Show, and the host turned to Marcus and says, so there's a lot in the Bible that doesn't tell us much about Jesus. The Bible really doesn't tell us much about Jesus. And Marcus thought, that's not my question. (laughs) I can't just immediately go into the rehearsed answer of who Jesus is. So he said, yes, that's true. There's a lot in the Bible that we can't know about Jesus, but you know what? There's a lot in the Bible that we do know about Jesus. And then he went off with his 75-second answer his prepared response this is what he said actually this is what he said Jesus was a peasant which tells us about his social class clearly he was brilliant his use of language was remarkable and poetic filled with images and stories he had a metaphoric mind he was not an ascetic he was world affirming with a zest for life There was a socio-political passion about him. Like a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King, he challenged the domination system of his day. He was a religious ecstatic, a Jewish mystic for whom God was an experiential reality. As such, Jesus was also a healer. And there there seems to be a spiritual presence about him. Clearly, he was filled with the Spirit of God. I think this is something of the Jesus that we think about when we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is something of the Jesus that's in our minds and in our hearts when we wave our palms and say, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's that Jesus that's in our minds. He's a spirit person with a clear sense of the power and presence of God around him. He was a healer with so many stories that continued about how he cared for people and he reached out and touched them and cured them. Jesus was a wisdom teacher enlightened by God. He shared an alternative vision of how to live in the world with love and selflessness and forgiveness and concern and outreach to God and to God's people. Jesus was a social prophet, so there was this political edge to him, an edge that inspired him to work for justice and speak out against oppressive systems. And he was a movement initiator. Not that he came to start a new religion, but that his person and his work were so charismatic, so remarkable, that a movement emerged from him and continues even still. We're celebrating Jesus today. This is the Jesus that's on our minds. This is the Jesus that's in our hearts. This is the Jesus that deserves our affection and our commitments, our lives, our dollars, as we seek to follow him in downtown Richmond and across the world. This is the Jesus that people through the ages have turned to for hope when they're desperate. This is the Jesus that can inspire abusive husbands to quit being abusive. This is the Jesus that can get the attention of alcoholics and drug addicts and inspire them to turn their lives around. 
This is the Jesus that leads people to march. March in the streets for civil rights and be persecuted. This is the Jesus that inspires young people to stand before the nation and speak out. Moves us to be engaged in the world for a better world. The coming of God's reign. This is the Jesus that presidents of large corporations and small groups of women in remote villages can study and be inspired to live more wholesome lives. This is the Jesus that for centuries in China has been suppressed and people who followed Jesus in China were, had to be secretive because they were so afraid and now this is the Jesus that's making China one of the fastest growing churches in the world, a place for Christians to prosper and serve. This is the Jesus that even successful people, people who have everything they could ever want and they're still looking for meaning in their lives, this is the Jesus that people seek to follow, to find inspiration from because following him is about life and whole life and life eternal. Yet as we move into Holy Week and as we move toward the suffering of this Jesus, this picture of Jesus actually gets quite complicated. He becomes Savior. Savior. Let's look again at how this works. And I'm reading portions of Mark 14 and 15. But just listen. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread and the chief priest and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Jesus did. And when they had taken their places and they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating at this table. They began to be distressed and to say to one another, Surely not I. He said to them, it's one of the twelve, one who's dipping bread into the bowl with me, going to betray me. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank of it. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, and they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. And then the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate 
was amazed. And then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him, and they began saluting him. Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, and they spat upon him, and they knelt down in homage to him, and after mocking him, they stripped him, stripped him of the blue cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to crucify him. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priest, along with the scribes, were also mocking him and saying, He saved others. He can't even save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also taunted him. This is the word of the Lord. In this part of the story, it's less about Jesus as a spirit person and all about Jesus as a persecuted person. In this part of the story, it's less about him as a healer and more about him who's deserted by his friends, especially deserted by his friends at the worst moment when he's suffering and dying. In this part of the story, we don't see the wisdom teacher, really, but more of a suffering servant, picked at, persecuted, bruised, beaten as a criminal, doesn't appear as a social prophet, speaking for justice against oppressive systems, but he's easily cast aside, rather, and mocked as insignificant. Mocked as insignificant. He doesn't look like a movement initiator, a de- more of a defeated figure, crucified on a cross. And yet we call him Savior. In a consumeristic and individualistic culture with everything readily available on our smartphone devices and other devices, we're told that this generation, this generation will be attracted to religion only if it's easy to swallow, if it's entertaining, and if it's fun. The story from Mark 14 and Mark 15 is not easy to swallow. It's not entertaining. It's not fun. What kind of Savior is that? But those verses and that story is a tragic depiction of real life. Those verses that I just read is a tragic depiction of real life 
And we know about that. It's a story of pain. It's a story of loneliness when our best friends who have been nurtured and taught so many good things decide to go another way, which is all too familiar to us. It's a story about abuse and suffering. Some of us know more about that than others. It's a story about mean people doing mean things. We know about that. It's a story about a teacher of great wisdom and great compassion being mocked and spit on and executed by political powers in a form of exceptional cruelty. Literally, hands and feet nailed to boards and hung up on a cross to die. It's brutal. It's a story of best hopes and wonderful plans being dashed hard against the rocks. It's a story of death. But here's why we call Jesus Savior. The story depicts the deepest sins of human life. Cruelty prevailing over compassion. Betrayal and denials taking center stage instead of fidelity and devotion. Fears prevailing over faithfulness. Crucifixion and death of one so inspiring, so peaceful, so godlike. That's what it shows. I wonder if you've seen the movie with this year's Oscar-winning actress Frances McDormand. The movie is called Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. After so many months have passed after the horrific death of her daughter, Mildred Hayes, who's played by Frances McDormand, takes a dramatic stand, and she buys three tremendous billboards just on the outskirts of her small town. And on the billboards, she challenges the revered town police chief. It's a dark story. So much of that movie is filled with what happens to us when anger and retaliation and cruelty and bitterness and selfishness and death take center stage in our lives. The Three Billboards movie leaves big questions about whether there's any real redemption in these characters leaves many big questions about, is there any redemption in this town? Big questions give you pause to wonder. So much nastiness, so much anger, so much destruction, so much death. All of this is part of life. And yet, in the Jesus story, this is why it's so important because there's no doubt about the redemption which he brings, which is why we call him Savior. In the Jesus story, it looks like cruelty and death hold the day, but they don't. In the Jesus story, it looks like oppressive powers and politicians with their own agendas went out. They do not. In the Jesus story, it seems that evil and death, the viciousness of the cross, get the last word. 
Not so. In the Jesus story, Jesus is Savior because he saves us from our sins. Sins that are revealed in the schemes of Judas. Sins revealed in the desertion of his friends. Sins seen so clearly in the mocking, in the cruelty, in the death on a cross. The very worst things that can happen to us, the very worst things that happen around us in our chaotic and cruel world, they're not the ways of God. God is there in the midst of every loneliness, every act of rejection, every act of desertion, every act of betrayal. God is in the midst bringing redemption and revealing God's ways of forgiveness and life and the coming reign of God. In the Jesus story, Jesus is Savior because he saves us from the worst that human life can offer. And we need to hear that today and tomorrow and this week and always. When circumstances deteriorate and injustice seems to be prevailing and mocking and cruelty seem to take over and darkness covers everything, God is in the midst. That's what the passion story is about. And God is the one who has the last word. Jesus is Savior because he saves us from the worst that can happen to us. This story demonstrates the cruelty and evil of the world so well, but also shows us the very truth that we hold to so much. Nothing is too great for God. Nothing. Not rulers, not principalities, not height nor depth, not crucifixion or death, not anything else in all creation. Nothing can separate us from God's love because Jesus is Savior. As we move into Holy Week, our focus has to be on the great and the steadfast love of God, who through palm branches that we wave, who through parades, through the worst challenges that can come, the cruelty, the chaos, the crucifixion, God will not let us go. Never let us go. Ours is a God who doesn't just make the world, but gets into the mess with us. The darkest places, the evil places, the denying and the betraying places, the most desolate places, to be with us, to redeem us, to save us. And all of that intends to move us, draw us, lure us deeper and deeper into gratitude and faithfulness, into love and to devotion, into commitment and service in the world. Jesus, Savior of all. May these days of Holy Week, these days, especially in the cruelty and chaos of the world, may these days of Holy Week give us new inspiration and insight for living faithfully because God is in the midst and God will not let us go and God saves us and saves the world. Hosanna. It means saves. Hosanna, Hosanna.
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O Lord, help our unbelief. Move us, move the world to more faith, more love, more peace, more light, following Jesus. Amen.